Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Bringing you a deep dive into Day of the Dead. That's right. Every year from March, we like to cover zombies. That's right. And two years ago, we did Night of the Living Dead. And last year, we did Dawn of the Dead. Both Dawns of the Deads. Mm-hmm. Right? So this year, we're diving into Day of the Dead. That's right. Every March, you could at least look forward to us talking about some Romero. Because there's a couple more zombie movies in his series after this one. So, yeah. But um, Day of the Dead is a 1985 American post-apocalyptic zombie horror film. Written and directed by George A. Romero. Jorge. Jorge Romero. And produced by Richard P. Rubenstein. It's the third film in Romero's Living Dead series. And stars Laurie Cardile, Joseph Pilato, Richard Liberty, and Sherman Howard. Romero described the film as a tragedy about how a lack of human communication causes chaos and collapses even in a small little pie slice of society well we'll have to loop back around and watch the the mist sometime and deep dive into that i was gonna say yeah <laughs> i would say that that movie does a little bit better job of that microcosm i would completely agree talk about a communication causing chaos mm-hmm. so romero originally intended the film to be his gone with the wind of zombie films following budget disputes though and artistic need to release the film unrated Romero was forced to scale back his story, rewriting the script and adjusting his original vision to fit the smaller budget. A total of five scripts were written, with the first draft being over 200 pages, leading to a shooting draft with only 88 pages. Filming took place in the fall of 1984 with above-ground scenes shot in Florida and bunker shots filmed in a former mine shaft in Wampum, Pennsylvania. The production was plagued with issues including mechanical and electrical failures, as well as issues with Tom Savini's makeup and props. Despite all this, the film is remembered as a highlight of Savini's career. Okay, listeners, say hello to your Aunt Alicia. Say, hello, Aunt Alicia. Hello. This is Day of the Dead. (laughs) First came the night, then came the dawn. Now comes the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead. We've been punished by the creator. He visited a curse. Hello! Is anyone there? For the few remaining, their only hope of survival is to find a cure. You're wasting time trying to define what's happening. But the odds are against them. We're in the minority now. Something like 400,000 to one by my calculations. And so is Captain Rhodes. Anybody else have any questions about the way things are going to run around here from now on? Their one chance is Bub. It's working on instinct. A deep, dark, primordial instinct. But their time is running out. They can be fooled, don't you see? They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. Same way we were tricked into it. I promise some reward to come. But when the tricks wouldn't work... They're learning. They're actually learning. Their world fell apart. You can just sit there in the dark, think about what you've done. Think about it. Think. The dead shall have their day. Day of the dead. Extraordinary, isn't it? As the zombie apocalypse continues to ravage the entire world, the zombies have outnumbered the surviving humans 400,000 to 1. In an underground facility near the Florida Everglades, a group of scientists are searching for a solution to the zombie problem, and a unit of soldiers have been assigned to protect them. Dr. Sarah Bowman, played by Lori Cardile, her lover, Private Miguel Salazar, played by Anthony Dilio Jr., radio operator Bill McDermott, played by Jarleth Conroy, and helicopter pilot John, played by Terry Alexander, fly down the coast of Florida in search of other survivors. Instead, they find a horde of zombies. They return to the bunker empty-handed, where Privates Torres, Johnson, and Miller wait. They are told that the officer in charge, Major Cooper, has died. Sarah argues with the group about the timing of fueling the near-empty helicopter, and they descend into the bunker via a platform elevator while she worries about Miguel's mental state. She fears he is reaching a breakdown. Back in the bunker, Sarah and Miguel are approached by Privates Steele and Rickles, two rowdy soldiers in charge of rounding up zombies held in the bunker for the scientists' experiments. 
they tell Miguel that he needs to help them get two zombies out of the corral. Sarah insists that he's in no shape for this, as he has been on a 24-hour mission. She agrees to accompany them, and Miguel stubbornly joins. At the corral, Steele and Rickles verbally sexually harass Sarah and refuse to let her capture any zombies. Miguel, trying to prove himself, takes the duty, but loses control of a zombie who almost attacks Rickles before Sarah can save him. Furious, Steele forces Miguel into the clutches of a zombie, and Sarah demands his release by aiming her Uzi at him. Miguel and Sarah fight in their room, and Sarah sedates him while he slaps and berates her. In the dining hall, Dr. Fisher is pleading for sterilized equipment with Captain Rhodes, played by Joe Pilato, the newly appointed commanding officer. Rhodes is starting to question the actions of the scientists, and Sarah enters to demand that Miguel be removed from duty. Rhodes angrily denies, and calls a meeting for the entire group that evening. Sarah enters the lab of Dr. Logan, played by Richard Liberty, whom the soldiers call Frankenstein, to find that he has been, again, working on the zombies by cutting them open, removing organs, and studying their parts. She informs him of the meeting, and Logan begins to tell her some of his newest theories, namely, the zombies do not eat for sustenance, but rather out of a muscle memory motor function. Logan then reveals a zombie under a sheet. He has removed the face, and only the brain is exposed. He shocks the corpse back to momentary life, but Sarah notices Major Cooper's fatigues on the ground. Logan explains to her that he switched Cooper's body with that of a specimen for burial, as he needed fresher bodies for his work. Rhodes holds his meeting with the remaining 12 people and explains his distrust of the scientist and demands to know the progress they are making. He is angry that his team is low on ammo, food, supplies, and men, as several have died for the sake of the experiments. Sarah angrily gets up to storm out of the meeting, but Rhodes orders her to be shot unless she sits back down. She is eventually encouraged to do so, but Rhodes insists that anyone disobeying him will be shot on sight. Later, Sarah has a vivid nightmare and awakens to have yet another fight with Miguel, whom she demands leave her room. She leaves for medicine and is caught in a scuffle between soldiers, but is rescued by McDermott, who takes her down to the Winnebago he shares with John near the corrals. They call it the Ritz, and they have created a very Caribbean vibe. The trio share drinks, and John begins to wax philosophical about a curse sent from the creator and how there is no cure for their predicament. He urges Sarah to abandon their cause and leave the bunker for an island before the soldiers completely lose it. The next day, Sarah meets a frustrated Fisher who is angry that his zombie specimens do not like the human flesh substitute called beef treats. Logan tells them that reward is the key to subduing the zombies, and he introduces them to Bub, played by Howard Sherman, his prized pupil. Logan has spared Bub from dissection, and he has been rehabilitating him by reintroducing him to items from his past. Bub plays with razors, toothbrushes, and the like. A horrified Rhodes and his men look on while Bub begins to speak into a phone at the behest of Logan. Bub salutes Rhodes as he enters the room, and Logan demands Bub be given an unloaded gun, which Bub points at Rhodes. Rhodes believes that these experiments should stop, and all the zombies should be destroyed. Later, there is another specimen roundup, and Miguel again loses control of one of the zombies, who escapes and bites Private Miller on the neck. His finger is on the trigger of his Uzi when bitten, and he sends a fire of bullets into the group, killing Private Johnson. Miguel goes into a mental breakdown and attacks another a zombie, who takes a bite out of his arm. Miguel runs into the darkness toward the Ritz, with Sarah chasing after him. Miller, barely alive, begs Steele to end his life, lest he become a zombie. Steele takes aim and blows his brains out. Miguel and Sarah reach the Winnebago, and she draws John's machete to amputate Miguel's bitten arm, saving him from the deadly infection. The other soldiers approach, and the group arms themselves. During the standoff, Rhodes announces that all the experiments will end, and all the remaining captured zombies will be destroyed the following day. That night, Sarah goes back to the main area for medical supplies with McDermott. They find that Logan has put Johnson's reanimated head on a slab, and see him carrying a bloody bucket from the refrigerated walk-in into Bub's room. They watch and discover what rewards Logan has been using all along, the fresh remains of the dead soldiers, this time Miller and Johnson's. Rhodes and his remaining men appear behind them and discover the bloody mess for themselves. They drag the pleading Logan to the pile of bodies and shoot him. Rhodes demands the weapons from Sarah, McDermott, and Fisher. He leads them to the entry of the corral and calls out to John to get ready to fly the helicopter and, to prove his point, fires a bullet into Fisher's forehead. John refuses to fly, and Sarah and McDermott are forced into the zombie-infested caves, unarmed. While John and Rhodes argue, they hear the elevator to the surface power up. A deranged Miguel has awoken and is heading to the surface in the horde of zombies surrounding the bunker. Steele and Rickles head to the elevator to find that Miguel has destroyed the controls and there's no way out of the bunker. As they try to rewire them, John knocks out Rhodes and takes his guns to rescue Sarah and McDermott in the caves. Rhodes wakes and joins Torres to find Steele and Rickles. 
Topside, a suicidal Miguel, opens the gates to the complex and allows the zombies to follow him to the elevator platform. They savagely eat him alive as he presses the button to lower the elevator. The remaining soldiers watch as the elevator lowers to reveal the massive horde, and Rhodes hightails it away, leaving them. The three privates try to escape, but Torres and Rickles are overcome. Steele makes it to the entrance to the complex, but finds that Rhodes has locked them out. He blasts the door, letting the horde in behind him. Meanwhile, Bub has found that he can slip out of his chains, and begins walking the hallway in search of his master. He finds his body, and is saddened by his death, but also picks up a nearby weapon. Hiding in a lab, Steele has an opportunity to kill Bub, but before he can, he is attacked by a group of zombies. After being bitten, Steele commits suicide, rather than suffer the fate of being eaten alive or becoming a zombie himself. Rhodes encounters Bub in a hallway, and the two exchange fire. It seems Bub's aim is getting better, and Rhodes is struck by a bullet, but he's alive. Zombies swarm Rhodes and begin to pull his body apart and feast on his innards. He screams with his final breaths for the zombies to choke on him. John finally meets up with Sarah and McDermott, and the trio escape the bunker and head for the helicopter, which may or may not be out of gas. Sarah opens the door, only to be greeted by another swarm of zombie arms. Then Sarah awakes on a beach. It was just another one of her red herring nightmares. She, along with John and McDermott, have made it to an unpopulated island. The sun is shining, and she can hear the birds and the surf. She pulls a handmade calendar out of her pack and crosses off the date, November 4th. The end. Question mark? Yeah, I think later on we realize that, um, like in a later publication, I think, not Land of the Dead or something, but that we find out that the three of them had become zombies and they they didn't make it on that island. Really? That's sad. It kind of seems like something that there should be an end credit scene for, though. I mean... Allah wasn't a light (laughs) on that unpopulated island. They never made it to November the 5th. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. (laughs) Someone's seen that movie. Day of the Dead was widely released on July 19th, 1985. It premiered 12th at the box office with a weekend gross of $1.7 million. It had some tough competition, however. Other films that topped the box office that weekend were Back to the Future, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Cocoon, Rambo First Blood Part 2, and a re-release of E.T. That is some stiff competition, right? Yeah. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. We don't need another hero. While it played in theaters for 23 weeks, it only earned a domestic gross of $5.8 million. It fared much better overseas, however, bringing its total worldwide box office to a little over $34 million against a budget of only $4 million. It would have had $7 million if he had just released some of that gore from the footage. <laughs> but like many horror movies of the 1980s, Day of the Dead would go on to gain popularity after its VHS release. It's true. The 80s was rife with that. And because of that, or at least partly because of that, Day of the Dead has an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes and holds an audience score of 75%. The site's consensus reads, Day of the Dead may arguably be the least haunting entry in George A. Romero's Undead trilogy, but it will give audiences plenty to chew on with its <laughs> shocking gore and scathing view of society. Choke on it. <laughs> Roger <The tagline>. Ebert. It's <laughs> the tagline. If you're choking on it, I didn't mean that literally. No shit. Roger Ebert, who reacted favorably to Romero's other films in the series, gave Day of the Dead one and a half stars. He praised the special effects, but was put off by what he referred to as overacting in the movie, specifically that all the actors screamed at each other for the entire film. Well, here, here. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Janet Maslin of the New York Times noted, yes, we only put critics in here we hate. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> no, we don't hate anyone, but... I don't hate Roger Ebert. No. Yes, there are enough spilled guts and severed limbs to satisfy the bloodthirstiest fan, but these moments tend to be clustered together, and a lot of the film is devoted to windy argument. <laughs> we can't disagree. No. David Kerr praised the film in the Chicago Reader, writing that this time the focus is less political than philosophical. Beginning from a position of absolute misanthropy, Romero asks what it means to be human, and the answers are funny, horrifying, and ultimately hopeful. Well, he got a lot more out of that than I did. (laughs) I mean, I get it. I understand what he's saying, right? So not a whole lot of awards for this. At the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for... Oh, no, at the Saturn Awards, it won Best Makeup for Tom Savini's props and effects. Okay. The movie has certainly found its place in pop culture. The band Gorillaz seems to have latched onto it and have may have used it uh, many times throughout their career. Uh, They sample music and dialogue from the movie in their song M1A1 and again in the song Hip Albatross. The artwork for their single November Has Come has a picture of a calendar pinned to a brick wall set to the month of October with the dates marked off in red X's, reminiscent of the opening of this film. 
the song The Only Good God is a Dead God, which is not a very good title, by a band Terror Against Terror. Samples- also not a good name. I know. <laughs> well, people learn that Gentleman's Relish is the best band name. Uh, the song The Only Good God is a Dead God by band Terror Against Terror samples Captain Rhodes' final screams choke on them with the sounds of zombies eating him. The American punk band The Misfits recorded a song about the film for their 1997 album American Psycho. The movie has been referenced in TV shows like The Walking Dead and Stranger Things. Near the end of the film version of Resident Evil, the protagonist Alice walks outside of her quarantine into a ravaged city street jammed with traffic. The camera pans past a newspaper blowing in the wind stating the dead walk which is a direct homage to george romero's work on day of the dead a prequel was released in 2005 called day of the dead 2 contagium a loose <laughs> contagium not contagion let me look like that maybe it was a typo <laughs> contagium nope it's contagium <laughs> Well, that's silly. <laughs> a prequel was released in 2005 called Day of the Dead 2, Contagium. <laughs> a loose remake was released straight to DVD in 2008. Another remake, Day of the Dead Bloodline, was released on January 8th, 2018, and it was a critical failure. In February of 2020, a television series based on the film was announced and will premiere on Sci-Fi in 2021. There's been some news about this recently. Like, it really is, like, happening. And I think and there's supposed to be a Romero world yeah okay so it's very very similar to that interesting all right so where do you want to start do you want to start with the cast you want to start with uh some movie moments well actually let's go ahead and talk a little bit about our main cast here because i feel like they did a lot of heavy lifting especially laurie cardiel uh as uh, dr sarah bowman who actually is to me really reminiscent of like a ripley type of character honestly like the one person that knows what's going on has any kind of like idea of the big picture and is trying to convince those in power of what's actually going on and not getting anything back you know it's it's i'm really getting a sense that this at least was partially inspired by aliens which came out a year later (laughs) never mind well i mean certainly i could see it certainly being inspired by the character of ripley right i think that a lot of people including romero i'm sure really enjoyed alien and um I mean, like she, she really has this tough, like no nonsense attitude throughout all those alien movies. And this woman has very similar approach, right? There's sort of like a working together with people, but also a little mistrust, you know, and, and she's much more authoritative too. And hardline. That's right. It's interesting to me to look back at the series, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. And then this one and look at the evolution of Romero's women as they go through the story. Very, very different and not a living dead, much more stereotypical, I would argue, uh, compared to even the next one where you've got, you know, kind of like a, like a media executive type of role, you know, in this woman, but she's still kind of hampered by like the pregnancy and everything going on in Dawn of the Dead and is kind of viewed as kind of a woman in the story with right. by the other characters versus in this one, she is leered at as a sexual object. But she rejects that completely and is the hero of the movie. That's true. And I, I really like like the per- – I don't know if I like it or not. It's probably the, the wrong word to use. But I can see like the progression that Romero has made, right? And I really – he seems to be putting women into these really awful situations to where they're the only woman for the most part. So in Night of the Living Dead, we have like three – four women if you count the, the girl in the basement, right? They sort of outnumber the men. In that movie. And then we get to Dawn of the Dead and there's one main woman and three men. And in this one, there's one main woman and like 11 men. Right. So he's putting these women into these horrible situations with nothing but like men around them. Right. And I I don't know what that says. He doesn't really do that for the rest of the series, you know, but this one in particular seems like she's in the worst place. Right. Because she's with these like really macho, toxic, toxic, masculine like soldiers. Right. Oh, yeah. And she she sort of has to deal with this on a daily basis. I mean, even her like partner, I was going to talk, even her partner, right, has issues with her. Miguel. Miguel. Yes. Every time I hear the name Miguel, I think of the Simpsons, right? Because the fucking lawyer on there wants to change his name to Miguel Sanchez. So anyway, <clears throat> but he like slaps her twice in the face, you know, and she like sedates him. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves because we must talk about Joseph Pilato. Who is the other? I would say, like, there's a lot of big characters in this, but he's like the main villain, I would say, of the film, right? Yeah. He is the epicenter of toxic masculinity that just wants to take charge and, and shoot everything, right? Yes, that's right. He, um, you know, he 
demands that people, you know, do what he says or lest they be shot. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and he's, he plays, of course, Captain Henry Rhodes. Right. And he really is like someone that is, I mean, you hate him throughout this movie. Like he has no redeeming qualities. Yeah. I feel like I hate him almost more than any other thing that comes to mind in any other film, like him and his whole group, really, it just really pisses me off the whole toxic masculinity thing. I have no time for that in my life. No. I hate seeing it in movies, you know, and I hate those characters that have actually become popular, you know, in, in, in some people's eyes. So like some action heroes are a little bit toxic, you know, and uh, people like see them as heroes or whatever. And I fucking hate it. I have no time for it, but it does really, it doesn't ever put them in a good light. I will say no. Um, him and all of his little followers, soldiers, for the most part, are all just trash, trash people. Yeah, they really don't do anything to like sort of help the group at all, ever, right? I mean, they, they protect them, yes, but only. Yeah, they're, they're going out and and you know trying to capture these zombies and and everything else, and and just for the scientists. And I get, you know, that's that's one part of this movie that I have a frustration with is that I do want that two hundred page version, you know, or something because I feel like this movie starts halfway through. And I really do need that backstory of like, they've been doing this for months or even years and they've been losing men, losing men, losing men. And what catalyzed part kind of the story is that off screen and before this movie starts their, um, uh, their leader, their military leader died, right. Was killed by zombies or succumbed to zombies somehow. And that's the kind of the plot point that moves this guy uh, Captain Rhodes into power, right? And he's got no time for this. I and mean, he's been, you know, taking orders for X amount of months or years in this situation. And as their men keep dying, the scientists don't seem to have any kind of any kind of progress. You know, and it's like, why is it worth it? We should be trying to fight. We should try to gain ground. We should try to move, do something rather than just exist here while we keep dying for nothing. And so I get that, but that wasn't put into the story. We're just presented these assholes, mm-hmm. one-dimensional assholes, you know, who have no capability of, of thought beyond that. So I feel like the other half of the story must have given some kind of you know, commiseration with those characters or could have given us some kind of commiseration. Or just given us some better context. Yeah. You know, um, I will say that Joseph Pilato plays crazy pretty well, oh, right? Yeah. Like he's he's constantly talking about how crazy other people are in the movie, but he like has a very good progression to like full on like shoot someone in the forehead kind of crazy, yeah. you know? And he does he does it well, and he he plays an asshole really well. Like you really do hate him so much in this movie, and I mean that's I don't know if it's hard to do as an actor, but he certainly latched onto that particular aspect of his character. And I would say almost the person with the most lines in the movie, because, I mean, you would say those two have a bunch of lines, but like intermixed versus I would say Terry Alexander as John Flyboy, the the group's helicopter pilot, mm-hmm. actually has like, I would almost say like a 10 page monologue halfway through this movie talking about how you, you know, like humanity doesn't really deserve, you know, like, let's move on. We're dead. We're gone. We don't deserve to move on because of our hubris and let's just enjoy the time we have left because time's all we got. You know? That's right. And it's so bleak, you know, like his character really is speaking the truth, but it's, it's super bleak. And I think that, I mean, he plays that character that's sort of like the most honest and truthful out of everybody who really understands the situation. Right. Yeah. And has a clear plan and direction of what he thinks should happen. And just no one seems to listen to him anyway. Yeah. We How need we- his ass. <laughs> that was the best part of that movie. I was just like, finally. I'm like, you put the wrong tense on that. You're supposed to say, we need his ass. I know. Not, we need his ass. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, so homoerotic. Finally, these soldiers are talking some sense. Come on. <laughs> How many times are we going to call people flyboy when they fly a helicopter in right. movies? But he's like, like I, I almost got a weird, like, you know, in a homoerotic kind of vibe, not erotic, but I mean, just like, I almost got like a subtext there between John, the helicopter pilot and Bill, the alcoholic radio operator, because they lived together in that little thing way back in the cave together. And right. I almost got that they were like a gay couple <clears throat> together. I mean, they like, they created a house, they created yeah. a home. They did. Right? And it said home sweet, God bless our home and all yeah, that stuff. In that's there. right. With the whole little backyard. And like, it seems like, um, you know, Bill is making drinks for everybody, yeah. right. Playing hostess or whatatever. Yeah. I totally got that too. I, so okay. I can see that. Cause I, I've not really found much other commentary about that. And I feel like it's pretty plain as day. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's actually what they intended. Obviously, they could but, have been as simple as roomies because back then yeah. you wouldn't think twice about it, really. But but they seem to enjoy each other's company and want to be separate from everybody, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I get it. I also like that. Well, they weren't scientists and they weren't military. Right, you know, they were the function people, and so of course they probably want to be separate. They didn't really get, they didn't really agree with what the scientists were doing, and they certainly didn't want to be around those asshole military guys. No. They were in the cave by themselves regardless of whether they were you know and cuddling that <laughs> fly boy you're in danger girl yeah <laughs> uh the actor who played bill's name is jarleth conroy and i would say that he is probably like the funniest character in this movie like he has the most comedic moments right because he's drinking out of a Jesus, Joseph and Mary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so, I mean, how many times did he say that in the movie? I don't know. <clears throat> Too many to count. But yeah, he's always drinking from a flask and seems to have an unending, unending supply of alcohol. Right? Yeah, the flask is never ending. I mean, I that would probably be me in this situation, right? I'd be drinking and just like playing with the radio. I'm like, hello. Hello, Aunt Alicia. <laughs> and we're like, couldn't get anybody. <laughs> Pass me that glass. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of levity added by Richard Liberty as uh, Dr. Matthew Logan, also known as Dr. Frankenstein, uh, the group's main surgeon and scientist, right? But he's kind of doing his own thing. He's kind of doing the lone wolf thing. Like the other scientists are actually trying to find like a cause of this so they can cure it right. or turn off the zombie, you know, which is what I would try and do if I was a scientist versus what he's trying to do is like train them like little dogs. You know, maybe <laughs> I don't know what the end game was there, like build their own little army or whatever. And based on um, some fun interesting things that ended up like in the the sequel to this which is like land of the dead or right. diary of the dead or one of those mm-hmm. um you know they do have some trained zombies that they're using for security and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that was supposed to be the first half of this or the latter half of this that got cut you know so a lot of that that got hit the editing room floor or the, the at least the script that hit the floor based on all those cuts from the 200 page to the 88 page ended up being in land of the dead and i can totally see George Romero's brain working, right? Mm-hmm. I know you could tell that he had a a full story arc in mind when he's talking about these these movies in the series, right? Because the things that he's exploring in Day of the Dead really pop up in Land of the Dead for sure. Yeah. Right. And we see that, you know, like zombies can sort of train themselves or they're evolving just like any other creature on Earth, right? And I think that's what um dr logan is trying to do really it's not like i don't think he's trying to train them so much as he's trying to figure out like how they function and maybe there's a way that we can live together right because i mean with a very few people left on earth it's impossible to kill all the zombies right so we have to find a way to sort of coexist at least that's what i think that he's doing he's taking the wrong routes but yeah he's thinking far far future and what he needs to do is really like give them a little bit of an edge for the situation that they currently find themselves in. Yeah. Especially since he's the one that spouts off that whole like 400,000 to one statistic. I love his exchange between him and the captain because the captain does still seem to respect him enough to at least shut up and listen to him a little bit, right? a little bit. Of course the captain ends up killing him, (laughs) but I mean, justly, Kind of, yeah, because he's taken, I don't, it's kind of eluded that he's either killing these people or immediately after them dying, he's like slinking off into the shadows and getting their bodies to test, you know, for his own (laughs) ends. And um, once they find out that he's using their military corpses and, you know, what have you, that's the end of it for him. Yeah, you're right, though. He does have some sort of he he does have a lot of comedic moments. And I don't know if that's intentional or not on his part. Maybe it's just a lot of overacting that he was doing. But um, I kind of dug it like I was OK with the overacting. It, it made me laugh. I like the way that he delivered his lines. And yeah, they got a good actor for that. He, yeah, he had a good cadence. He was say. really perfect. Just the way that he like talked. He talked like a scientist sort of talking down to everybody, trying to explain his theories and things like that. And I mean, he's he's a sympathetic character. He was doing some things that are sort of questionable, but I yeah. mean, for the name of science, right? I feel like for the sake of like, they're trying to create a kind of a tragedy here, right? And I feel like it would have been better if the scientist was on the verge of something really good and important, you know, and all the scientists were kind of unified in that thinking. And 
that he had been like the leader that was going to take them over the line. But then finally, the way he did it got him killed, you know, and everything else would have been would have made it a little bit more tragic and would have compounded the fact that of the microcosm, I think, with the military minds versus the scientific minds of progress. And, you know, and, and the fact that he was kind of a lone wolf and even going away from what the other scientists wanted and everything, it it, it added some weird nuance and complexity that took away from the overall feeling of tragedy, I think, for the film and the microcosm feel. So I don't know if that's neither here nor there, but I, you know, I feel like the, tr- the real tragedy of this movie is that so much of it was lost before it was ever filmed. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think that, I mean, I, w- I would love to see this huge script that he wrote. I would just want to read it. And I'm sure that it's going to yeah. be a part of his, you know, library out there in Pittsburgh. So, mm-hmm. well, we've got some other cast standouts like Anthony DeLeo as Miguel, um, who's alluded to be her lover or boyfriend, husband, whatever they've been boinking. Right. And um, he's also a military guy. So she's kind of crossed the line over there, but from, we have no real, you know, compassion towards him. Cause he's a kind of a, a, a useless dick right from the start. Yeah. Well, he's serious. I mean, he's having some problems, right? He needs to take a minute, you know, and just a minute, but just a minute. And he doesn't, you know, he's slowly like slipping into a bad mental state. Like a lot of the characters in this movie are, but he's very obviously not. No, he's past. He's a woman on the verge, but way past the verge. Right. And he is quite the drama queen in this movie anyway. But uh, I love that scene. (laughs) You do that quote so well. Just do it. Well, you're so much stronger than us. You think you're stronger and you are. It doesn't matter. So fucking what? So what? (laughs) I love it. It's just like, get this man an Oscar, please. So, yeah. And then when he like double slaps her, I was just like, bitch, you need to hit him back. I was just like, good Lord. I mean, like he obviously, I I can see why she gravitated toward him at some point. Like, like we were talking about earlier, we need a little bit more context with these characters. We're sort of dropped in, you know, in the middle of whatever they're doing, but I can see before he starts to slip away mentally, he probably was the most like sensitive of the military men. Right. And I mean, she maybe found that attractive and, you know, set up house with him as well. You know? Yeah. It's just yet again, we're missing like this other piece in order to actually feel any kind of sympathy for him. Cause mm-hmm. he's like this weak shivering antagonistic, you know, asshole just right from the start. And it doesn't end well for him. You know, in fact, he's the catalyst that ends the movie really. That's right. Right. And I think that we knew that all along, or we, we, we knew that was going to happen. And this is what, you know, Dr. Sarah Bowman is saying the whole time, she's like, you need to take him off duty, remove him from the situation because something bad is going to happen. There's so much foreshadowing right from the very, you know, I really wanted there to be a, like a told you, told you so moment. Yeah. Because he does, he drops the ball like twice mm-hmm. and once around the soldiers. And then the other guy was like, you're not going to sedate. You're not going to remove any of my soldiers, whatever. He, he's going to be online. He can just, he can handle it or whatever. He gets a lot of people killed. Yeah. And then, then he gets a million, gets everyone, everyone killed, killed again. <laughs> You know, several times has proven her point. And like, she could have easily been like, this is what happens when you don't listen to reason. You know, this is what happens, you know, but we never get that moment. Oh my God. The parallels between the last presidential administration and this one, right? (laughs) This is what happens when you don't listen to science or whatever. God. Uh, One of my favorite characters in this movie and favorite acting performances is Sherman Howard as bub. So yeah, the, the friendly zombie. That's right. Um, the Fido. If there is such a thing. I guess. Bub doesn't really kill anybody in this movie, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he shoots at people. Ooh, he, yeah. He injures the captain. Right. The dick captain at the end. Rather poetically, which I am a fan of. But but I really think that Bub is sort of the emotional core of Day of the Dead, right? I think that... <laughs> Sadly, yes. I know. <laughs> it's, it's none of the humans. and uh, Which I want to talk about later on, because that's truly the progression of the George Romero's dead series. Yeah. Um, but I think that like, we identify with Bub a lot in this movie. Like I, I feel empathy for him when he finds Logan's body. Like he's saddened that someone that he trusts and likes is dead. Right. He feels a need to sort of avenge his death. Right. In a very human living human kind of way. And I think we start to realize that, you know, like the enemy, these zombies are just like us. They are people and they have memories and they have motor functions and muscle memory that we did before. He recognizes everything that's put before him. He still thinks like a human being. He just happens to want to eat us. Yeah. So, but it's sad. And I, I just like that character a lot. 
Well, they learn about a lot about him too, just based on how he reacts to different things like salutes and guns and right. books and music, you know, and things like that. And so they have some hypotheses of, of who he was before and, and things like that. And I thought that was interesting. You know, it would have been interesting to see if there was going to be some sort of scenes of, of, you know, who that character was, if he'd come from a different survival group or if he was one of the originals or something. I love some big epic, you know, Walking Dead style story, you know, with some of these people so that only the audience knows who that really was, you know, but the characters that are dealing with him don't. I thought that would have been fascinating, but he does get his moment in the sun as we, you know, know when he finds that the doctor, Dr. Frankenstein has been killed justly, Um, you know, but that was his only friend in the world, you know, as his new puppy dog zombie state is and uh and he does get to to shoot our you know least favorite character in the movie several times so that's right and then uh allow the other zombies to choke on them <laughs> choke on them. <laughs> yeah I, I like how you say that though i think we have to hold out hope that maybe this future television show on sci-fi will explore some of these things mm-hmm. so i mean let's let's all hope we do have to talk about gary howard clark as private walter Steele and ralph marrero as private robert rickles who are just like the worst of the worst of the military. There's one guy, just like this big guy, just throwing his dick around, you know, That's right. his ego around. And, you know, the other guy is just like, just laughing it up the whole time is making the worst jokes. And is just, these people are so slimy. It's like, there's so many of these type of characters in this movie. And it's just so infuriating to watch a movie for this long, you know, with all this toxic, you know, masculinity kind of just throwing their shit around and just making no, sense not listening to any kind of reason uh, constantly having to be in these conflicts where you have someone with reason and you know the ability to think past the moment you know and constantly losing those battles with those people and it's just kind of they're being constantly proven wrong too but it doesn't matter there's no so what here and it's so frustrating in this movie with these stupid characters so fucking what <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh, they are like i don't they are awful and I mean, one of them says like biggest piece of meat in the cave or whatever, you know, and like grabs himself and shit. And they, they really treat Sarah like, like crap and, and Miguel yep. like crap too. They're like, you know, obviously you are weak and we're going to prey on the weak. And, um, he sort of gets picked on by everybody, you know, but yeah, these two, like the one Rickles is just constantly laughing at things. It's the only lines he has in the movie are just like cackling laughter and I think he's even laughing when the fucking zombies are eating him, right? Like it's, I don't know. Prevalent. I don't really like those two characters at all, but I mean, again, it's just like more fuel with people to hate in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Well, now that we've gone through pretty much all of the cast that's worthy of mentioning, although I do want to say that there was a young Greg Nicotero as Private Johnson. That's right. Little baby Greg Nicotero, who would go on to do lots of great horror movie makeup, including The Walking Dead. So I think he probably learned a shit ton of stuff from Day of the Dead. Yeah, and he's the showrunner over there now, right? Yeah, he's he's in charge of that show. Yep. There are some really fun moments in this movie. And um, why don't we kind of step through a couple of those now? I think one of your favorites is right at the beginning. Yes. And I didn't put it in the synopsis because it's just too hard to talk about like red herring dreams. Right. And there are way too many in this fucking movie. So yeah, we get to see Sarah leaning against that white wall, looking at that calendar with all the days crossed off and she walks over to it. And then all the zombie hands like pop out like jazz zombie hands, like right in front of her face and she screams and she yeah, puts through the, um, what are those called? It's um, concrete blocks. It's concrete right. block construction. Right. And so they're popping out from the concrete blocks and actually it looks pretty realistic, but it doesn't quite make the noise you expect. And so right. they all come out at once. And yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I actually jumped with that cause I didn't expect it, you know, which is the point, you know, speaking of which, um, that's kind of the teaser right and then we go to the the devastation where she's like waking up i guess on the helicopter and and coming i I just watched this movie and it's still kind of hazy (laughs) but we see like the devastation of florida right and then we get like this um this zombie without a jaw and the tongue waving out and i still don't know how they did that they must have found someone that had a prosthesis or something that you know didn't have his lower jaw or something and put makeup on him because damn that looks really really good it's 
you know, this movie overall has some of the best in-camera makeup effects to this day for gore. Um, you know, and and some of it's like faker than others, but like that scene, it was good enough for them to actually put, you know, the title card Day of the Dead on it. And I think that it's that that zombie has been used uh for artwork for later releases on Blu-ray and DVDs, like that is like one of the standout zombies in this movie. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they did it. We should probably look into that, but it is really cool looking and they have it like tongue wagging or whatever, right? It's just super neat. Um, the thing that strikes me as the weirdest is the alligator that's just like sitting around like in the middle of Florida. I guess alligators live in Florida, so it's not that unheard of, but so this is how we show that, you know, society has collapsed because there's an alligator like standing around in the bank. Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> I thought it was fake at first. Cause it's so stationary. Yeah. And yeah. then later on you see the zombies coming behind it and it's walking down the, down the steps too. At least we know that alligators are safe from zombie attacks, so they have no interest in that yeah. alligator meat. Apparently, all the zombies and the alligators wanted to be in that bank. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, and, and then, of course, we mentioned it before, but we get that so fucking what speech from Miguel. <laughs> so what? So fucking what? <laughs> I like the way you do that. Forever. That's going to be the quote that I make He's you such say. a little queen. He really is such a fucking drama queen. So fucking what? <laughs> yeah, and then of course we've we've mentioned a lot of this before, but we we quickly we're quickly moving through the movie with we got that biggest piece of meat in the cave, toxic masculinity speech. We really wish that character had died so much earlier in this uh, movie. For, for real. real, I mean, like at that corral, that would have been the best time for him to to die. Really, Miguel obviously is out of his mind. He's already had the so fucking what speech. He can't do his job. He's like risking everyone else's life, and she's trying to like give him like a little sedative so he can sleep. I'd be like, yes, please. <laughs> no. But he slaps her twice in the face in a row. And yeah. she's like, yank with that fucking syringe. Yeah. Good for her. She should have just like kicked him in the face once. Kicked him in the balls twice <laughs> for real. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So then we get introduced to Dr. Frankenstein and Bub, And, um, finally it gets back to, to her, like trying to like, she wakes up from a nightmare, I guess mm-hmm. again. Yeah. So she, she's having a nightmare and Miguel gets up from his sleeping position. His innards are falling out. Like she saw something earlier. Oh, right? and the Dr. Frankenstein's yeah, office, so, really gnarly scene. It's like the effect scene of the movie almost right. where it's like one of the most memorable things is like the zombie rolling over on its side and all of its guts falling out of the floor. And of course, as we know, they're real guts from the making of. So Ugh, yeah, so gross. You are watching real gore in many cases we have too many fucking red herring nightmares going on lord but then um you know they get into a fight after she wakes up at that and she kicks him out so sort of like it ends their relationship get out just get out <laughs> I was like, everyone's a drama queen in this movie i will say though i mean like i was really appreciating the overacting this time around watching it i don't know why but i was so into it so anytime people were fighting or screaming at each other i wasn't there for it well it's, it's just like every single conversation in this movie is almost a crescendo argument you know what i mean like it's like watching marriage story and they have that big apartment scene where they have that fight and they're it's so intense but that the picture of that movie where every single exchange is that dramatic <laughs> it's a little draining well yeah i mean because every time I want every every scene to be a dramatic moment for real i mean like every time that Rhodes is on screen he's always like i don't trust the scientists and we're going to put an end to this he says that so many times you know so yeah i'm gonna put a bullet in you and you best believe me (laughs) (laughs) oh my god but yeah she kicks him out ends their relationship she continuously like even after that saves him and protects him and stands up for him and we don't know why because we don't have any kind of context into the uh, working relationship with them i mean we could only assume that they've been in a relationship for quite some time yeah right so i mean at least long enough for him to feel comfortable slapping her twice (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how long that should be it should be never but but to get over her you know breakup that she you know did far too late in the story in my opinion (laughs) yeah should have been right there in the helicopter (laughs) well fuck you (laughs) so fucking what i'll tell you what (laughs) get out just get out of the helicopter (laughs) (laughs) so yeah she goes and gets drunk with the fam and this is of course with uh, Flyboy and the radio operator that we talked about earlier who we thought might have been a a nice little couple I I ship them yeah I do too I like that idea 
but she sees that they have like this beautiful little backyard they've put together in the cave that looks like it's like an oceanfront property or something mm-hmm. they put down right. the fake grass and like <laughs> the umbrellas and the reclining chairs and you know the beach stuff going on and it's really I mean, nice yeah you could almost like hear the sounds of the caribbean in the background right and he's sitting there reading a book with his feet propped up you can only assume that book is very bleak and misanthropic or whatever right because they sit down and they're talking about you know how people probably deserve to die right or like this is the end of humanity and let's just face facts facts of facts america and you know that's just what it is and it's so incredibly bleak that i just yeah it's supposed to be like this big breathe out kind of relief like there is some good left in the world type of moment but then he goes right into no (laughs) yeah i could only assume he's reading like nietzsche or something in that book and he was just like and we deserve to die (laughs) (laughs) this is not the caribbean vibe that i really want to be invited to but they do get drunk so i mean there's that and then this is pretty much where things start to fall apart is about halfway through the movie. And, you know, we get, you know, he drops the ball again. Miguel drops the ball again. Right. And results in deaths. And then he gets bit and she has to protect him. She chops his arm off. Yeah. Always saving Miguel. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, they're trying to go get some supplies and then shit hits the fan with Frankenstein where they find out that he's been like operating on the soldiers that have died and man uh just because kind of moves really really fast and we get some more just really gnarly gore with um like the severed head of one of the soldiers moving around and that that was nicotero actually yeah oh my god you're right yeah because i i heard tom savini on a podcast recently and he was talking about that and he was talking about how they they how they put his head on that slab right or how they made it and it's just it's super neat to hear him talk about his own work so and it looks effective obviously right but um yeah yeah, I, it seems like this movie, just like that critic that we talked about earlier, Janet Maslin, who said that the, the the gore moments and the violent moments are sort of clustered together and the rest of the movie is like windy conversation, right? Or windy arguments. And that's exactly what it is. So we're like more than halfway through the movie and suddenly everyone starts to die. Yeah. <laughs> like out of nowhere, right? And I guess that happens in other Romero movies as well, right? Really Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, there's like a turn moment where just shit just goes downhill so fast you know, that you got whiplash and that's what happens here. You know, uh, they just, they lose focus for a moment, you know, and they, they, they know this guy is not good for action. And Miguel kind of drops the ball again and gets some people killed. And then he gets bit and she has to chop his arm off. Like we said, and then they go back for medical. They find out the doctor has been doing crazy shit with the soldiers. They, the soldiers kill him, mm-hmm. you know, then they go back and they're like, we're, well, the science project is over now because you've been working on our, you know, our guys' bodies this whole time. So fuck you. And so we're going to leave you guys here with the zombies and we're going to take the helicopter guy and, and, you know, take off for, you know, greener pastures. Yeah. Wherever. Really. I wish they should have just reused that line over and over again. Have every character say it. We need his ass. No, no, (laughs) not that one. That's my, that's my line. But really, if he's like the the experiments end tomorrow or whatever, I'd be like, so fucking what? (laughs) I just want everyone to say it at least one time in this movie. So fucking what? (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, at this point, um, no one's been watching Miguel, and so he's run off, and he goes above ground and wants to kill himself, apparently, and kill everyone else. Yeah, oh my god. out of his way to make sure that he kills everyone else on top of it. Fucking suicide by zombies and taking out, like, everybody in the bunker, right? And, I mean, he's doing this at the exact wrong moment because Sarah and Bill have been thrust into those caves unarmed with all the zombies, right? Yeah. And John is trying to save them, even though, like more zombies are coming into the bunker. It's just like an unwinnable situation. And strange bats that just keep flying by the camera. <laughs> what is with those fucking bats? I know, because you could tell they're fake. Right. And I don't know if they were in camera or added later, but you see the characters kind of stop and watch. Yeah. And then move on. No one ever mentions the bats, <laughs> but it's like at every cave scene, like it cuts back to the cave and they, they, they stop and there's a bat that flies by and then they continue. And it's like, oh. They really do react to every single bat screech. Like, oh, oh. And then, <laughs> and then they move on. Yeah. I also, like this part in the bunker because the, the 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 part that makes me jump the most is when uh sarah's like sort of standing on this pile of rubble and a zombie hand like pops out of the ground like total fucking carry moment right <laughs> and like <laughs> even scares me in carry so apparently hands popping out of the ground so i least expect it is like the scariest thing in the world so I, that's what i feel like we're missing really like more of that but also more like commentary on what's actually happening in the moment yeah you know i need some form of like character to be like can we talk about these bats <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Like, I mean, they are underground, right? But I mean, like, what is so it? So there's bats. So fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> we get it. The bats are strong. Probably stronger than all of us. So fucking what? I'm starting to feel like the best parts of these scripts are the ones that were never filmed. <laughs> I love those bats, though. Check on them. Yeah. Oh, God. So all the soldiers get basically one by one or sometimes two by two. <laughs> Chopped down by these zombies that are let in by Miguel. And um, there was a weird scene because they all come down from the elevator and they have that oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. And the captain leaves the, his fellow soldiers behind on his little go-kart, but then runs them over and meets them at the place that he's trying to escape to. I'm like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so all the zombies like are coming down the elevator, but he's running to them all the way to the other end of where he headed to. Like, it doesn't make sense. I feel like there was a scene where the zombies are coming from the caves too. Oh, yeah. And that was cut or something. And I feel like I read something about that at some point where it was kind of cut. And it, it makes it seem kind of weird that he's running into them when he's already have escaped them. So it's, it's weird. Anyway, I digress. That would totally make sense, though. Actually, it makes more sense than what we see in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's eventually um, ripped in half. Yeah. And what is probably like one of the gnarliest moments in this movie. Yeah, more guts. You get to see him ripped in half. They're choking on it, eating yeah. him. and like, Choke it. <laughs> how does he stay i mean like i don't understand the mechanics of death right but if you're being ripped apart like literally like are you able to say things do you think i don't know if you want me to answer that because i have seen an actual beheading and they were screaming and you get to hear what happens when they scream and they're being beheaded and, and stuff and what uh, so no like they they take his lower body right so you can see his organs yeah. so his lungs are yeah, still they attached half, they right? take his pants and they, they like a group of zombies actually take his legs and go down the hall right. so i mean i just i didn't i mean like do the lungs still work it was either him point? or a different soldier where they rip him really apart they all the legs and everything too oh yeah they take and they take his head off while he's screaming oh yeah, yeah, yeah. right and that was actually shockingly realistic from the beheading that i've that i've seen Oh my God. Uh, because you can hear a scream all the way until it's completely de- beheaded. And like, you can see his vocal cords like stretching and being like cut off or whatever. And it's like shockingly realistic for the sounds that it made. This is why I appreciate our friendship. Cause I learn new things about you every day. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of forced to, you know, like how friends will show you like two girls, one cup or goats. Oh, I certainly know how friends will do that or to whatever you. that crap. <laughs> Well, no, this was like next level. And so someone showed me a beheading video of someone being beheaded. Oh, God. They were screaming and that was like a hostage situation. And it was like a real video. And yeah, I didn't want to see that. And I regret ever having watched it. And I don't know why I assumed you saw it like in real life. I was like, how are you not more traumatized? But yeah, I was traumatized from that. Still am. But, you know. Some things you just don't want to see. Let's keep them in the movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I will go ahead and just say that I'm still traumatized by Two Girls, One Cup. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So if you watch this movie, just know that um, a lot of it's super realistic. And I mean, that's he, like we said earlier, this is sort of the highlight of his career. I think people look back on Day of the Dead and they think of Tom Savini's work in this. And it is very, very good. Yeah. I have to say some of the makeup was still like he was complaining back on Dawn of the Dead that it looked a little bluish. Yeah. And they do. To me, they look even more bluish in this movie. So he didn't quite learn his lesson there. But the actual gore effects of ripping things apart and actually using real guts and stuff, this is like his magnum opus. Oh, yeah. Like we said earlier, like this movie has some still has some of the best to this day in camera effects because even the new dawn of the dead and everything relied on a lot of like computer effects to complete mm-hmm. them and walking dead game of thrones all of them are using like green screen parts and the like green screen costume parts to really complete these effects to make them look skeletal in some cases and really realistic and decomposed versus in this they didn't have that right and so a lot of this is like 100 percent of this is in camera and so it was done really really realistically and uh if you are squeamish at all like i i'm okay with gore sometimes i appreciate it if it's funny or over the top um you know but this actually made me a little nauseous watching this one and that's what i remember the most about day of the dead right i will say that like it's probably the least watched of the dead series for me yeah and for probably good reason the original trilogy (laughs) right i think i think i've seen land of the dead in those afterward fewer times than I've seen day of the dead. Yeah. But my main takeaway from day of the dead is the gore and how throughout my entire life, like it has made me sick, like watching it. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that is effective gore. If it, if it makes you like, you know, revolt. So. Yeah. Well, and the guts they're using are real. They're real pig guts and things like that. And so you're seeing real entrails. And so that 
I think that makes a big of a, di- a bit of a difference when you're seeing them all kind of congeal together and fall to the floor and plop. It's like super <laughs> realistic in a way that CG really can't be or hasn't been yet. I think I'm going to add that word to my list too. You just said it. Plop. Yeah. Congeal. <laughs> no, flop. Can we talk about some of the ridiculous zombies during the horde entrance scene though? I mean, like there's a fucking clown zombie, which is horrifying to me. Like if there's anything worse than a clown, it's yeah. a clown zombie. <laughs> yeah. And that ballerina zombie that was actually on point. <laughs> right. I was cracking up. I was just like, zombies can barely move. You got parts falling off of them and shit, but this ballerina zombie can walk around on point. <laughs> like, God. Yeah. I was, we were talking about this kind of like offline a little bit. And, um, it was just like they they like need to like I, and still ninety percent of the zombies are dressed like in normal street clothes that right. you'd expect, but a good ten percent of them are in like costume like clown and ballerina and like the eighties jazzercise <laughs> like warmer outfits and like like really weird like out out there kind of stuff and um you know you kind of expect that maybe two percent right like dial it down a little bit more because I really am seeing the ballerina and the clown and whatever else is in there like. I mean, because that's like sort of front and center when I see you. You can pick them out. And I know that it's like the recently dead coming back to life. So like, what are these people doing when they're getting killed? Apparently, they're just <laughs> as clowns and they're doing some ballet. But I mean, shit, I was just cracking up at that. My Lord. Yeah. But as we already talked about, there is one more uh, red herring nightmare as they are getting to the helicopter after they escape the bunker. Right. Yeah. And uh, they wake up on the beach and um, everything seems to be OK. Right. They live happily ever after yeah uh, except that like i said earlier i think like we learned that they didn't survive you know right so maybe they survived for a little bit at least john got to have his beach moment his island moment and live out you know the remaining days in the environment that he wanted to be in yeah so a moderately happy ending yeah to a very gory and violent movie one of the most uplifting of the series i would say if the most yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of uplifting when the two fly off in, in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, right? I mean, the first yeah. was the most bleak because they all die. Right. Versus the second movie, it's like a big question mark because you don't know if they're going to run out of gas. And I think originally we talked about back then, there was like another ending that kind of filmed where they did run out of gas and you know, it goes down or something. I don't know. Well, then they have to go back and listen to our own deep dive. Well, and there was that they talked about in Dawn of the dead where like they, someone killed themselves by putting their head into the fucking helicopter blades. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. he does have some bleak endings that he writes, but I think that he filmed something a little bit more, you know, hopeful. Right. Mm -hmm. I really like the progression of all of his movies, especially in the, the, the first three of them. Right. So we start to learn throughout the movies that the zombies are really not the villains, right? Yeah. It's the people that are alive that are keeping everything bad, right? Zombies we can kill and sort of fight, or if the scientists are, you know, have their way, try to live with, right. But the people who are still alive are making everything worse. Did night of the comet come out the same year as this? I think it did come out in 1985. Yeah, it's so similar. I mean, it really is. You're right because I mean, like, there's some sort of like military operation that's going on underground and underground. Then, yeah. yeah, with the scientists and everything else. Some bad, some good scientists and everything else. But the movie that's way more fun is Night of the Comet compared to this one. I would say. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right? It's it's more of a comedy, right? Yeah. What is it with like mid 80s movies and like wanting to be underground, like yeah. kind of a, fucking Goonies and shit? Oh, mm-hmm. We could not stay topside in the mid 80s. <laughs> Well, I've got some fun facts for you. Lay them on me, please. So as we've stated, during filming, the refrigerator housing uh, the intestines and blood was unplugged by actually custodial staff. I think the the pop culture thing here is that they had power outages. Yeah. But actually, I think it was actually unplugged by one of the custodians. And so the entrails started to spoil, causing most of the people involved, like the the people playing the zombies and the guy stuck in the floor who was ripped in half, the captain, Mm -hmm. um, you know, were... physically sick because they were having to work with all these literally like rotting intestines of cows and sheep and and pigs and and things like that and uh i think some like chicken intestines were in there and Ugh. all kinds of stuff and it was rotting and like I, th- I think one of the the colloquial kind of like stories around this is um the actor that was uh ripped in half had to like stay in the <laughs> in the floor and they like left him there for like the whole lunch hour and he was around this stuff and uh he says he can smell it to this day oh my god i can only imagine how fucking awful that smell would have been i mean like listeners even the like remotest like bad smells like just 
kills me. I guess my my olfactory senses are really high powerful. I mean, I yeah, you would that. not have survived that. No, oh my god, no. Rotting fucking like organs and shit. No, no. I would have yeah. just vomited everywhere. So, uh, note to self: do not make movies. According to Lori Cardiel, the first attempt to shoot the beginning dream scene where the zombie arms suddenly spring out of the wall and attack her resulted in the entire wall and most of the actors playing zombies behind it toppling over and onto her. <laughs> oh, that's sad. So the wall ended up being to be completely rebuilt and um, that time much more stable. Oh my God, too dangerous. <laughs> <clears throat> too many jazz hands coming out at one time. Yeah. So all of the extras who portrayed zombies in the climax received for their services a cap that said i played a zombie in day of the dead a copy of the newspaper from the beginning of the film the one that says the dead walk and one dollar worth it i totally (laughs) would have done it yep and finally during a vacation break in the filming makeup artist greg nicotero used the realistic and gruesome model of his own head as seen in the laboratory scene in the film to play a practical joke on his mother oh my god i can only imagine how that turned out and that is how his mother died because <laughs> <laughs> that thing looked real it was one of the most realistic decapitated heads i've ever seen yeah because it was like it had to open its eyes and mouth and everything else everything was moving on it yeah, yeah. I, I really love the effects in this movie i just do mm-hmm Okay, so we have some questions about Day of the Dead, like we do for every movie that we deep dive into, and we will start with, is Day of the Dead a horror movie? (laughs) 100%. (laughs) I don't think that we can have a conversation about rotting entrails and not say that it's a horror movie. And nothing else, really. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just straight up horror through and through. So, I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, really dramatic moments or whatever, but it's not. The zombie salute. Yeah, it's not a, it's not some like highfalutin drama. No, right? uh, were you scared while watching Day of the Dead? You know, um, I got jumped a couple times with those stupid dreams, <laughs> those yes. red herring dreams. Well, and I jumped um, at the reveal of Bub, right? Because she walks into that dark room and he sort of changed. She doesn't know he's there and he jumps out behind her yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I jumped at the very beginning where the hands, the jazz hands pop out. Right. Then very, very end where she goes to the helicopter and something grabs her head just mm-hmm. off frame. I, I That was my biggest jump. And then, of course, she wakes up and she's on the beach. You know, and it's just like, God damn, fuck you. <laughs> I know. So lots, lots of jump scares, lots of red herring nightmares. Um, I think, too, I mean, because we already talked about all the, the, the gruesome gore and special effects. I think it's hard to watch this movie and not feel queasy and not feel a little put off by that. And I think that's a really a good trait of a horror movie is to make you just feel uncomfortable while you're watching it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I could say I was scared. I was certainly a lot more scared when I was younger watching this. It's so. more like the, like I was scared. I was like jump scared in those moments, but everything else was just tense. Like I needed a breath so many times in this movie, and it didn't wouldn't give it to me just because of all those stupid inner character, you know, swab the decks with testosterone moments. It yeah. just you know pissed me off. That's right. If every other conversation is so fucking what you know, what I mean, so, <laughs> so fucking what, <laughs> so fucking what. Okay, out of five stars, what would you rate Day of the Dead? You know, on this watch, I gave it a three. I liked it more this time. Um, it's usually, and still is, my least favorite of the series um, that I've seen. The the, tr- the trilogy, I would right. say. I have not seen any of the others that, that are past this. Really? <gasps> no. I have not seen Diary. I have not seen Land. Um, I've only seen these three, and I've seen these three multiple times each. Okay, yeah. Usually this is, and still is, my least favorite of the bunch. I think it's like five star, four star, three star for me, or something like that. And um, I think in the past I've rated this one or two star, just because it's such a difference from them, especially on my first watch. But now going in, knowing that it's the worst of the three, and knowing kind of what it is in, t- in total and some of its parts, I actually was able to enjoy it more this time. And so I gave it a solid three. And I agree with you, although I gave it four stars on this watch. And I normally this would be a three or a three and a half star movie for me in the past, possibly even lower than that on some watches. But I have never in my 41 years enjoyed watching Day of the Dead as much as I did on this watch. And I couldn't <laughs> even tell you why. I was really digging the overacting and I was digging the dialogue and the and the the gore and everything. And it was all working for me. <laughs> and I just had a good time watching it. And I four stars all the way. I think I'm more likely to watch this movie more often than I would have just a couple years ago thinking about it. Yeah. So I'm super excited for you to see the other movies in this series though. Although I, well, next year we can do a double deep dive of diary and land of the dead, right? Yeah. So land came first and then I think diaries after that. And there's one more after that. So like a second trilogy, but it would be 
decades before Land of the Dead came out after Day of the Dead. So okay. I'm interested to see what you think. Although I remember when that came out. I think it was uh, 2002, somewhere in there. Yeah, something like, something like that. Very early 2000s. And um, I don't know. I'll just save the rest of our conversation for next March then. Okay. okay. Yeah. So finally, who's the hottest guy in Day of the Dead? You know, I think it's that guy, um, it's like the younger blonde soldier that doesn't have any, like, speaking roles, I think, when he gets killed. (laughs) It's just some random guy. Uh, Or maybe that guy at the beginning that is, like, watering something outdoors, he's kind of, like, shirtless. Yeah, that would be Torres, and he is the hottest guy for me in this movie. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That blonde might have actually been Nicotero. I can't, I can't remember. I mean, I know, so like Johnson, Miller, and Torres are sort of like the privates that don't really have a lot of lines, right? But Torres is the one who has his shirt off and he's like watering things with a watering can. And I totally forgot about that moment. And so the helicopter's landing and I was like, oh, hey, shirtless man with the watering can. I was yeah. just like, honestly, there's no, generally no hot guys in any of Romero's movies. But, you know, it's yeah. like we're kind of grasping at straws here. So. I mean, just because he was like shirtless and muscular or whatever. So for very superficial reasons, right? But mostly the men in this movie are assholes you know for the most part aside from like bill and john right but like most of the guys are assholes and that kind of like taints my opinion of them yeah right so although if you know when i pick one i'll just go for that that skin deep beauty anyway so Well, everybody, we would like to know what your thoughts about Day of the Dead are, and you can let us know on social media at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com, or you can call our hotline and let us know what you thought of all that gore. <laughs> or if you don't care for it, and so fucking what? <laughs> at 972-666-7733. That's right. If you just want to call in and say that line, we'll play that on our next Shoot in the Flames episode like we do any voice bell we get. Really so. well. And, and you can try again. We'll, we'll put all of them on there and we'll vote on who's so fucking what is the best. That's right. <laughs> See if you can beat Chris, because so far it makes me smile. So what? So fucking what? <laughs> We are not three talking about zombies, though. We are going to talk Resident Evil next week. So more bunker zombies. That's right. I haven't seen that movie in quite some time. I know. Let's watch it tonight. So we're all going to die down there. You're all going to die down here. (laughs) (laughs) And head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers for our next bonus episode. And you guessed it, even more zombies, because we're talking Pride and Prejudice and zombies after last month's BBC entry. That's right. And if you liked this episode or any others and you want more, please give us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Leave a little tidbit about why you like us, and we'll read it on the air on the next Shooting the Flames episode. That's right. Well, Chris, I think I need to go off and find the biggest piece of meat in the cave. (laughs) (laughs) And what will we do with it then? So what, Robert? So fucking what? (laughs) Well, I'll probably have some. Sweet dreams. <laughs> that hurts my throat when I do that too. Say hello, Aunt Alicia. <laughs> hello. They're coming for you, Aunt Alicia. <laughs> They're coming to get you, Aunt Alicia. 